0: For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911, and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop. 24-7 with super-fast shipping, MidwayUSA.com.
1: Hello there, everyone. As you're listening now, myself and the Elk Bros crew are actually in the mountains chasing elk. But we wanted those folks still on deck with hunts yet to come to have some content that might help you this season or for seasons to come so on today's special edition of blue collar elk hunting it's a show that i recorded with john stallone and i was his guest on his days in the wild podcast and even though the topic is about what to do 30 days out there are a ton of nuggets y'all and information that i really feel could be used by so many folks up to the day before they leave and even during the hunt so with that said pull up a chair adjust your volumes just right and welcome to blue collar elk hunting and guys welcome to
2: elk camp welcome to blue collar elk hunting brought to you by elkgroves.com with your host gilbert Nellis and elk hunting coach joe jillian you want to hunt elk they live to hunt
0: elk their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
2: Hi, welcome to Days of the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Uh, today, we are going to talk with my good friend, Joe Elia, from uh uh, well, blue collar elk podcasts and the Elk Bros and I. You know what? I always wondered why you didn't keep the podcast name and the and the website the same. Because every <laughs> yeah, time I go to search your podcast, I put it in the Elk Bros, and I'm like, wait a second, it's not called the Elk Bros. I got to do it the other way.
1: <laughs> well, we actually, we you know. We actually have tagged Elk Grows on the front of it now. So it is the Elk Bros Blue Color Elk oh, okay. Podcast now. And so hopefully when you do a search, you find it like that. But I don't know, dude. It was like, and, and I had a lot of people when we started out, they were, you know, especially people in marketing, like, well, it's not a good idea to have two different names. I'm like, well, what we were about was the message, first of all. We wanted people to understand what our show was about. Right, yeah, And... Right. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, that was more important for people to understand who we were, what we were about, and the elk part would come along, and you know, it, kind of did and so in fact we have a lot of people that, like they search for elk bros as two different words and i kind of market it as one word but mm-hmm. you know it yeah it, it all works out and i think now things are starting to come together and people are starting to recognize who we are and attach us to the podcast but you know i mean we've got a lot of things going because we have that we have elk bros adventures going on mm-hmm. we got the you know the blue collar elk academy um you know, with base camp. So there's all of these little components, and I don't know. Maybe it's kind of good they're a little separate in some ways, but yeah, I'm not a marketing guru. I'm just a, a guy who loves to hunt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> same here, same here. I had a similar <laughs> issue because I, I when I brought my podcast to the masses in uh-huh. 2015, um, it was interviews with the Haunting Masters and that was a carryover from what I was doing when I was doing the podcast for just the honey channel. And I did that because I was going to reuse a lot of my old content to, you know, just to start out to kind of feel it. And then, you know, I went along for, I don't know how many years doing that. And man, I'm like, man, first off, I was like, the name's really pretentious sounding, you know, like people don't understand that I'm interviewing people that I think I believe to be the master of whatever it is I'm talking to them about. Um, So it got misconstrued a little bit. And I, you know, so then I tried, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to change the name to days in the wild. Like my TV show, like my pod, like my blog and, Mm -hmm. you know, keep it all in my, in my outfitting service. Like keep it all the same. And I did that. It was a good, it was a good change. Um, I think I did lose a few people in the beginning, like because they got confused, but
1: right.
2: I think they eventually figured it out. But
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And, and what I'm like, and really for me, it's like I, I'm not looking for people that are looking for blue collar or elk hunting. You know, I'm looking for people that do a search for elk hunting and, right. you know, hopefully they find us that way.
2: You know? Right, 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 right. Anyway, uh, so it's uh, we're about a month out. We're yeah. about a month out from 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 uh, D Day, so panic mode, panic mode. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of wanted to go over and kind of give the listeners, um, I don't know, like a a roadmap as to what they should be doing a month out. You know, what what are some of the things? I know some of the things that I'm doing. I'll share those as well, but I'd like to kind of mm-hmm. hear from you and what what it is that you are doing at this point in the game.
1: Yeah, so what's, what's really cool about that, John, is, is so, like, we're elk hunting coaches. And right now, like, I'm in coaching mode with um, my athletes, the competitors from Hunt Wars, mm-hmm. you know, getting them ready basically 30 days out. And we also have our own um, coached hunt that we're doing. Uh, because that's you know in our elk Rose adventures we actually have hunts where we're coaching guys so we are doing we're doing coaching through zoom sessions right now with my coaching staff with all these guys so we get a real good look at where people are and where they're not 30 days out and what they're still working on what Mm -hmm. the holes are in their game you know those, those types of things so um that really has given a pretty good roadmap and I, I find that it's, it's interesting that a lot of people have spent a lot of time on logistics, right? They're like, um their plans to get out there, where they're gonna hunt, getting their tags, uh, having all of that stuff in place to get there, but it seems like it seems like the skill sets that once they do get there, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 real hit and hit or miss on a lot of people. And I think um I think that's what we're finding uh through coaching people thirty days out, you know, where they're the areas that they need to kinda of up their game so that they're eliminating and that's what we're all about as coaches. We're we're really trying to help people eliminate failure points. Mm-hmm prior to getting there so that, you know, I mean, we both know, right? Every time that you have an encounter, first of all, you got to create an encounter, right? Right, And then once you do find yourself in an encounter, it's like, how many stories do we hear from people that, well, you know, this happened, my, my site moved or it got bumped or, um, you know, I went to go draw back, and I caught my release on my face mask, or you know, um my reed went out at the wrong time, or my peak sight turned. I mean, there's just like yeah. all of these tons uh, of, you know, all these little failure points that things could have ended up being a success story, but it's kind of like the same old fishing. You know, it was this far away from the shore, you know, when it got off. You know, so um, I I think that's where we're at, and. What I really, you know, have started with, and as I'm coaching people, I kind of go through a few different things. You know, we talk about their game plan. We talk about um where they should be physically and what they should be doing at this time. You know, we talk about the different ways of filling up their toolbox. And, and it's just like when I'm working with my teams, like when I was preparing for a championship season, at this point in the game, Basically, you should be taking the time to look at the little details to mm-hmm. prevent some of those failure points, right? Um, and then I, and then I, I think a big thing right now is to do those things that are going to actually eliminate lost time in their thought process in an encounter so that some of those things, so they're not doing discovery and, and learning from, the failures at the time for the next time. So, right. you know, hopefully they're not going through five encounters before they realize that they should be setting up in front of stuff instead of behind stuff. You know what I mean? So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I I think that's where I'm at right now. And I can kind of share some of those things that we've been talking about along the way. And and calling, dude, calling is has been huge too. It it's amazing how many people are going to actually try to have their calling down probably on the drive out
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, this year myself included <laughs> I have <laughs> I haven't practiced at all and I, and I listen this is uh, something I've been doing for years and years and years yeah yeah and yeah I still if I don't practice year round I don't feel mm-hmm. confident going into that that season
1: but at least, dude, you've got, like, how many years of base, right?
2: I yeah, mean, true. But it's it's still – I'm just – I'm trying to bring that up. I'm like, so if you're new at this and you're waiting to, to do it, like – it, yeah, it's a very perishable it, it, uh, talent, you know. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: well, it well, and then what happens to the funny thing about that is is that a lot of guys will, and gals, when I say guys, I'm a coach. So I like yeah, to everyone in together one pile. Me too. Um, um, so a lot of people are going to be on that drive, and they're going to be blowing the crap out of their reeds. They're going to get to the hunt, and on day one, they're going to go and it's like, what the heck?" Because they've, you know, they've worked it so hard, blowing on it all mm-hmm. that time, and, and that previous little bit of previous time that they're they're actually going to probably blow out some of those things, and then when it comes time to hunt, they're not going to they're not going to have the call that they want, really. You know what I mean? So, so.
2: that being said, I want to interject something here. One of the things that I've done is I always buy. So I'm a a three-read guy anyway, but I usually keep three reads, uh, three of each of those three types that I'm going to use, and I'll make sure I won't take, I don't leave that one in the package, you know, I'll take it out, and I will make sure I'll test it and make sure, because sometimes they just don't have the same sound out of the box uh some of them need a little stretch some of them need a little you know breaking in whatever but absolutely i'll have one that i practice with and i might even start to hunt off with it and based on how you know like what you were saying how worn out it gets mm-hmm. and then i'll progress to the other ones as the hunts go on you know but that's a good yeah, but- that's a really easy failure point right there to avoid <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I mean, that shows your expertise though right there. I mean, that was one of the things, like when I talk about time for little details, that on that trip out, they should absolutely be breaking in their second and third set of reads. I mean, that, that's what they should be doing is going through those. And like you said, testing because, you know, I mean, you could actually buy five reads and, and, there's always a chance in production that you end up with one that just isn't going to do anything that you want it to do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that might be a toss. And you don't want to find that out when you're out there. Like you took one good one and you have a backup. Right. Yep. Any time that I'm out there, basically I've got... Probably about five reads that I'm rolling through because I'm going to have two that I want just for, if I'm really in tight and I'm just needing low sweet cow calls, I have something that I know is going to give me a low sweet cow call. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I have three of my my favorite one that I like that's either my all around or I'm going to have one that's just like a screamer that I can, you know, it's got that thicker latex that I can just scream all day on it if that's what you know i need to do but what i like to do is actually rotate and roll through my calls so i actually always have um uh, a backup to the one that i'm using on that day mm-hmm. just so that when it starts to get wet and warm and i i just rotate it out and i put it in my you know i have a vented call holder that's going to let it dry out
2: yep Same.
1: so that yeah so you're not blowing it out right
2: mm-hmm. Yep.
1: It, I don't think people, you know, like I talk to people and I work with guys like, you know, right now we're doing calling things. I said, "Let me hear your cow call." And I hear a sound like, "Oh my god, man. Um, how old is that call?" "Well, I used it all last season." <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's First a problem there right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're putting that back in your mouth. That's disgusting. But uh, you know, yeah, I I End of the season, they all go in the garbage, or I might convert them to, uh, coyote calls. Like, I might use them for predator calling over for a little bit, you know, yeah, after yeah. that. But that's about it.
1: Yeah, but you know, and I've been there. I've done that, you know. I mean, um, it used to be, I mean, there were some of the, the older Primos that I used to get, like the Primos white or black, and mm-hmm. man, those things would last forever. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, uh... And and then you kind of look at it and you can see a little bit of wah-wah in the latex, you know, where it's yep. starting to just give out. But I, I think that's a, a huge thing um, with that. And, you know, when I talk about, you know, those little details, you know, we shoot. Uh, I, I guess we have this huge preparation time. And then... We're like, okay, we're ready, and then we jump in and we get over there. And after all this preparation, after all this wear and tear on our our bows and our shooting equipment, we forget to actually do a little, you know, a little check over maintenance point, just checking for things like, you know, adding some bow wax to screws that could come loose to make sure that they don't, you know, uh, adding a little bow wax to our uh, threads on our broadheads that we put in just to give them i mean if you if you don't want to use loctite i mean right, some right, people yeah. do that uh, yeah i'm i'm not a loctite person no am I. um <laughs> but i think bow wax is just great on threads and it really helps you get through because you know if you're around on utvs atvs mm-hmm. um shoot i mean things get rattled they get loose and that's how sight pins and stuff end up moving and sites end up moving uh you know even like the screws inside your release on some of those could actually come out and this is the first time for me that i'm actually having to deal with all of that kind of stuff you know um all of these extra components. I've always just had a a glove on. I pulled back, look, and shot. But I tell you, man, when you're shooting with releases and you got pins and you got sights and you have kisser buttons and mm-hmm. peak sights, I mean, y- you add a lot of little complexities that you had better make sure are ready when you're going to be out there because I don't know if it's f- five days, seven days, 10, 14 days, but that's it. You yep. know, and you drive 24 hours to get there and something goes off on it when you're in the middle of nowhere, you know, if you don't have a backup boat. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know how many people really, John, afford having a backup boat, right?
2: Exactly. It's not so, It's not cheap. I mean, <laughs> no. a full setup nowadays, you know, e- easily $1,600, yep. you know, seventeen maybe easy, easy. You know, that's on the, on the, even on the lower end. Yeah. Yeah. So if,
1: if that's the case, you had better prepare for the small redundancies or prevention to make sure that, you know, that hunt isn't going to be a, a a huge lesson, you know, before the next year. Right. Right. So, um,
2: real quick before we jump off of this part of this, what uh we're talking about, one of the things that I know that I've done and I, this came out of traveling mm-hmm. um, is I go through and I mark everything with a little silver Sharpie marker. That's oh, bow timing, cam- cams, uh, everything on the site. So windage and elevation, even uh, if you have second axis, third axis, those marks. Uh, I just, I mark everything. Even where my peep is uh, and my kisser button. Because yep. it's just a quick glance, I can look. Oh, okay, shit, this moved. How, how did this move? Right. You know, and it's much easier to get things back to good if you have that.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's uh, that's a that's a great tip right there. It sure is. You know, So and, and when the other one is this like not only checking your equipment but also using your equipment like you know have have they used or shot in or practice with everything that they're going to wear while they're hunting mm-hmm. you know yeah. i mean everything it, don't don't have any exception if you're going to wear a neck gaiter and you're going to have it pulled up over your nose you had better be shooting with that neck gaiter on uh, I don't care what you look like or if your, you know, neighbors look at you kind of funny. But I tell you, when you go to pull back and you put a kisser button in the corner of your mouth or a, or a, a bomar on your tip of your nose or anything like that, it, changes it feels it. different when you got something on your face.
2: 100%. hundred percent.
1: And I mean, uh, do you wear something on the front? Are you going to wear bino case on the front? Myself, I hate when I'm elk hunting to wear anything that is going to keep me from quickly taking off a layer. That's just me. I'm not much for being strapped into anything because it's, you know, if I'm in hot pursuit and generally what's happening is, you know, you've got a destination herd that you're actually trying to parallel and get up to where they're going on the parallel side of them. So, you can't waste a lot of time at certain times. And then all of a sudden you start to break into a sweat mm-hmm. as you're moving up. I like to really just, I mean, I mean, I'm down, I pull it off, cram it on the pack back on and I'm going again. Whereas if I have something strapped on my chest, I'm having to unsnap that, take it off. And then I'm always worried about, and there's the other thing, a uh, little tip for everybody is you got to always go through a post check, what I call a post check pat. you know, so if you have a grunt tube that you wear on you, if you do have that bino case on you, if you do have a release that is actually a release that isn't attached to you, Um, if you have binos that you put on one side of your pocket or anything, you know, always, as soon as you stand up, you go through that post mm-hmm. and look around you. Uh Otherwise, you know, there's going to be somebody coming across some equipment in the woods that you're going to wish you had, right?
2: Yep. Absolutely.
1: How many times has that happened to you John?
2: Uh more than I care to. And you want to laugh the funniest thing is the one thing that was designed for you not to get lost. I've lost more times than it was my GPS. <laughs> I've left I've left like <laughs> Six hundred dollar Garmin rhinos out in the freaking woods. <laughs> like, I don't know how many times, three times I think I lost them. Yeah, oh no. stupid, man. stupid stuff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and it's 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 one of these things too, is where, you know, like if you have to if you have to stop and you're pulling everything off, and you and you end up pulling off your gloves just so that you can grab everything or something like that. I swear, man, you'll just stand mm-hmm. up and you'll take off without them. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. it's uh <laughs> it's
2: happened <laughs> so th- more times than i could
1: yeah but you you act you need to shoot in you need to practice with all that stuff because you i mean the pack, a weighted pack, I mean, you're going to be out there for days with a pack that you don't shoot with in your backyard. And right. what is going to happen with that? Is it going to make a swish sound? You know, um, is it going to affect you in one way or another? Is there anything that is hanging off that could get in your string? You know, you need to shoot all that stuff and find those failure points before you get out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not one to have anything loose on the front of me. I don't want anything to get in the way if possible, right? Yeah. So- I
2: could see that for sure I, I do wear a bino pack but I've gotten used to it and I've gotten used to you know uh, well shooting with Ed and 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 just knowing that it's there and it's got to go back there but um, uh, to take your point further um, I actually got a video of this up on my I believe think it's on my YouTube um, I like to put myself once I get to my de- destination, Mm-hmm. I like to put myself in a very realistic situation and throw a target up out there. Mm-hmm. I think I'm thinking the example that I I did was that's on the YouTube is I was a mule deer hunting in Utah. I was at above ten thousand feet and everything was steep angled, so I put a target way down below me mm-hmm. and I practiced shooting before I went out hunting and. Just to get a feel for one, make sure my, you're dealing with different elevations. You might have sighted your bow in at 1100 feet and now you're at 11,000 feet, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. um, oh, whatever. It makes the, a difference, but. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, just kind of going through those motions, um, definitely one, and i'm going to talk about this a little bit later on here is confidence it's going to build confidence for you cuz that's what i'm a month out that's everything everything about it, what i do is confidence mm-hmm. everything's confidence um, well
1: when when you look at all of these things that we're talking about you know when you eliminate when you know how solid you are by looking at all of these different aspects, mm-hmm. that gives you that innate confidence. That gives you, when you put your hand on the bow and you start to walk in the woods, it's not with doubt in your mind. It's just like, man, that I mean, as soon as you, I don't know if it happens to you, man. When I grab that frigging grip on my bow, it's almost like there's a transformation and a confidence that I'm going out there that, something's going down right it's yeah. just uh you have that feeling and it's and it, you're exactly right success in elk hunting is about confidence confidence comes from preparation confidence comes from um knowing and preparing for things ahead of time that you're going to see or is going to happen right. i mean that that's why another thing another tip i would give people is is for example do the things that are going to eliminate lost time in your thought processing during an encounter like a lot of these guys if you think about this you, if you hunt a 5 day hunt for elk and you've done it for 5 years that means that you've actually had a month's worth worth of elk hunting experience Yeah, right
2: yeah we've had this conversation many times on the on my podcast yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So for those people that like I, I guide professionally. So I mean I'm guiding from September all the way through to January. So I have all of these encounters, all these experience with elf that a lot of people just don't have. And so I've seen all of so many different shots and shot angles and I, I'm gonna jump back to what you were saying because one of the things that we do is as soon as we get hunters that up to where I guide at, and it's you know eight, nine, ten thousand feet, the first thing that we do is have them shoot a target, and most people are low to the left. I don't know why, but mm. most people are it's weird um, so it's real critical to do that but when when we talk about this, your encounters there's so many times and there's so many things that people will see an elk in a position at a distance. And their mind is rolling on, is that a good shot? Where should I place it? What is happening here? And and by the time they actually start to make a decision in that process, that window of opportunity is gone, Mm -hmm. right? So what I tell people is, look, if you don't have, like, if you don't live in elk areas, you don't have all that experience, there's still, man, uh, look at different pictures, photos, videos of elk. And work on recognizing body positions and determining whether or not it's going to be a marginal or if it's going to be a shot, effective killing shot for you. You need to do mm-hmm. that way ahead of time. And, I mean, not just looking at a broadside animal and, and saying, okay, there's my shot spot. That's where I'm doing it. Because you're going to have elk that are on a quarter, 2 They're going to be quarter. In fact, very seldom do you have an absolutely broadside animal.
2: Almost I, I, never. I think I've only shot one out. That was broadside,
1: right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. Most of the time they're quartering too.
1: Yeah, either quartering because they're quartering coming into away. a call.
2: You know, they're they're mm-hmm. walking towards you. You know, absolutely. And you don't always have the ability to. And me, I'm a cheat the wind kind of guy, so mm-hmm. you don't always get that like circle that that they come to. You know, possibly give you a more broadside shot. I don't know. That's, right. But yeah. yeah, no, I hear you exactly. Well, and, <laughs> and
1: they're either they're either coming down a hill, going up a hill, walking straight across, or you're up above them, or they're up above you. You know, all of those different angles, and even though you these, even though you as a hunter. Has not seen all of these things, that doesn't mean you're not able to see it now. And to see those images and recognize the body positions like Pay attention that if it's quartering away that you're not going to be shooting at the onside leg, that you're shooting on the offside leg. Mm -hmm. Or if it's quartering to you, you're going to see part of the front legs both, you know, looking as it's as it's stepping that way towards you. You should be able to recognize that. So learn to recognize those body positions and then determine and in your mind, tell yourself at that position, that's not my shot or What am I going to wait for? At this position, that is my shot. This is where it's going to go. So, and I tell everybody, okay, if it comes to a frontal shot, I don't coach it. Mm. And the reason I don't coach it is because I don't know their ability level. I don't know how calm they are under pressure. Uh, I don't know all of these other variables that would determine. I mean, they could shoot they could shoot dimes at 20 30 or 40 all day long in their backyard but Mm -hmm. you go out there and you add all these other elements to it and then you add an animal that could all of a sudden move or turn or anything like that it it changes things so that's something that each of our listeners have to determine that's their own judgment as to what is their marginal right i i I don't teach people to take frontals you know i would you know I, i frontal or even like a quartering two again for the same reason right? right um i try to tell people even on a broadside shot a lot of people you know when you shoot a lot of 3d all of the 10 ring and the 12 ring is right there in that golden triangle area and yet for me i always have people up the back leg mid body three inches back you know from away from the hip, right mm-hmm. i that's That is the spot that on a broadside animal that I tell tell people to shoot for. I want two holes. I want it going through so fast. I want those lungs deflated, and I want that animal down in 10 to 15 seconds. Now, are you always going to get that shot? No. So what happens now if he's quartering away a little bit? Well, now that falls to the offside leg, and just learn to recognize that, and already have in your mind from, I mean, go through picture after picture. I don't care if it's 200 pictures. Look on video. Stop the video. And then determine, do I have my shot? Is that my shot? If it's a no, you should recognize that right away. That means you're waiting. If you're waiting, what are you waiting for? And then play that video. See what that animal does. Because most likely, if unless it's going across in front of you at first worst quartering and turns, you might get that shot. Or as it starts to go, you know, from where it's far away and coming closer, you might get the shot that you want. If you are, uh, uh, if you know the anatomy and you've been doing this for a while and you can, you know, put it in that front shoulder on the front side of it or a frontal, both devastating the golden triangle, devastating, but, you know, I really want to ensure a clean, ethical, yeah, quick tip, right? So that's the way I, I coach. But you gotta prepare your mind ahead of time so that when you are in that situation, it's a go no go. And I mean right now. Mm-hmm. Go no go. Okay.
2: Yeah, so you and don't then, you're not flustered into making a bad shot.
1: Absolutely. You know, and <laughs> I mean, that happens. You've been hunting.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I still do five it. Five
1: days of <laughs> a six-day hunt, you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden the animal re- presents itself, and it's like it's the only animal I've seen. It's the only one that's been in close. You force it. but you, yeah, yeah, and you force it. And and you got to ask yourself, you know, what is your goal? Your goal is not to put an arrow in an animal. Your goal is to put that animal down mm-hmm. quick and fast, right? So, you know, maybe it's that story. But, you know, if – if that animal is in that position, you know, what actions will you be taking if it's not right? If he's in your window, what are you going to do? So a lot of people, and we coach, if an animal steps in your window and you're a full draw, stop him. You know, stop him with a grunt, you know. Do something that <clears throat> you, you can stop that animal. Right. Google at him, you know, if he is in search of... um a cow and everything's quiet and he's looking for it then yeah you can just give a little sweet cow call and stop him but have you practiced that man have you drawn back and then had to give a grunt and shoot mm. are, are you somebody that's going to change form when you do that because you've never done it can you bugle at the same time and then shoot a target while you're doing it you know um so I guess what I'm trying to do is tell people like you were saying, John, is to get in those actual hunting situations. Practice those setups. Yeah. Recognize setups.
2: You, yeah, know, you want it to be as automatic as possible. Like absolutely. You want to be able to recognize what's being presented to you right then and there in that moment and be – <sighs> I don't even want to use the word reactive Crea- reactive is even too slow like you want to just mm-hmm. know like this is this is what needs to get done right now
1: go no go man yeah. i mean i'm there it's a go pump it's off right yep um or it's a no go and then know what i'm looking for after that you know if the animal's walking at what distance, I mean, I can, you can shoot an animal walking at 10 yards uh, an elk if he's just moving just like that. I mean, it's just so close. It's just boom. Mm -hmm. But I mean, at 20 yards, you're going to want to stop that animal 30 yards. Absolutely, man. So, you know, you, you've got to just know what are my actions I'm going to do in this situation. And, you know, you can do that by watching. There's so much stuff that you can watch these days. And I, yeah, another thing is, is hunting in realistic shooting form. I mean, we're all rock stars in our backyard, standing there, you know, perfectly. Like exactly. the feet are level on the ground, everything like that. But you know, how often is that going to happen, right? Never. So
2: <laughs> almost never, <laughs> almost never. Especially <laughs> elk hunting. I feel like most of my shots are, 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 have always been taken from either kneeling or sitting position. Because when, yep. con- I, when I set up, I'm not standing in front of something. I'm kneeling in front of whatever cover it is that I'm, you yep. know, I'm not. Breaking up your. Yeah, I'm not you know, I'm not trying yeah. to stand up and, <laughs> and, and give myself away. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. you can. You can get in situations where you, you know, back yourself into like a group of. Should, you know trees whatever I don't know
1: but see but you, you still... there in Arizona you're you got like the same country we do here in New Mexico mm-hmm. so it's like it seems like all the pines the branches don't start till a certain height yeah top, exactly
2: right? you actually I have yeah. to get down to see like you yeah. see under everything you know. But,
1: but you take that same thing and you take it to, um, Oregon, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's no way in, in that lush Oregon side that I'm going to get on my knees or I ain't going to see crap, right? It's just, yeah. uh, it's different for the vegetation. So, you know, I, I, it's dependent and I always try, I, I always have to be careful because I see things from a perspective that's regional, right. really, sometimes, you know, so, um, but, You're absolutely right. You gotta practice from all that. I think, you know, I've taken, I've taken 36 elk on public land and I've shot two standing. The rest of them have been from a down position, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, or even I've even done a one knee draw on a couple of them where you just had to get down all of a sudden to get that view. You know, so there's, different things that you have to practice for Yeah, you know, even you, ne- you need to practice drawing and moving four yes. steps to your right and then shooting
2: yep. you know absolutely
1: draw move four steps to your left and shoot draw move four steps to your right grunt shoot you know practice uh those types of things practice being on your knees and knowing that okay now i have to rotate my knees to the left I have to twist to the left and now take that shot, right? So, yep. just I, I think people get the point. I might be beating a dead
2: horse, no, but, but it, it's important enough that it kind of needs to get beaten in there a little bit. Yeah, you know, I was talking about confidence earlier. Like my main focus right now, a month out, is <clears throat> is my practice with the bow. I've I've, right. I've you know and and my calls too as well um and it's not the time to learn something new okay the time to learn something yeah. new that's past that's gone <laughs> you know right. you don't want to try to do something that you haven't done before that you haven't had a lot of experience before 30 days out before your hunt that's yeah in my opinion but i yeah, don't know i, I don't know I, how I, fast a learner you are but <laughs> like for me Right now, I mean, I got video after video of this stuff out on, on YouTube and even on Instagram and stuff like that, where it was just like you were saying, you know, I'm, I'm imagining an elk walking through the trees. I'm tracking them. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets to my opening, I'll make a stop sound or sometimes I don't make a stop sound, but, and I take my shot and it's right. practicing that because, and from both sides, you know, track from left to right from right to left because that's what you're going to be faced with put yourself in as many lifelike scenarios as you possibly can
1: and and I i have another one for you man i mean go pull your four arrows your three arrows your five arrows whatever they are from the target start walking away from your target and start throwing them out different directions different distances just start throwing them tossing them and then go to it and the first one you have to shoot from your knees. The next one you get to shoot standing up. Awesome. And also you don't get a range finder. So you have to judge distance because I really think a huge failure point a lot of times is, and it's great man, if you're get into a setup and you're calling them in or you have a partner calling back behind you you can pull the rangefinder up, you can range all the trees all around um, that's that's awesome, but I can't tell you how many times you end up in a no crap moment, where all of a sudden you see a tip of a horn, you drop down, and you're getting ready to shoot, and now instead of getting into your shot process it's like, oh I gotta range, and then by your range this animal's moving, mm. so now you're trying to get the rest of this stuff done without him seeing you, so I mean it's just like, I think we become so dependent on that range finder that you really have to work on your judging of distances. You should absolutely, I mean, 30 yards in should be a gimme, right? right? I don't, yeah. where you don't need a range finder. And, and that just comes from practice. And, and that's why, you know, toss shots is what I call them. Just going out there and just throw them in different directions so you have different angles and you have to shoot them from different positions at different places. Again, doing things to raise your confidence up now you go and you zero in and you're you're two inches high or you're two inches low Mm -hmm. right well if you're taking that elk mid-body where i told you to take it and it's three inches back you're good you're good as gold right there right so um but but you have to you're not going to kill it if you don't take the shot you don't want to take a marginal shot so if you want to If you want to be effective at that, you got to practice these types of things. You have to. Or you are setting yourself, again, up for a failure point, right?
2: Right. Exactly. I I wanted to say this, but I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying. The second you sit down or kneel or stand, whatever the case is, and you're setting up to start calling to an elk, Mm -hmm. before you start calling – you take out your rangefinder, and you get as many markers as that you can remember. Don't overdo it. Cause then you're going to get, you know, look at all the major shooting lanes and say, okay, this is 25 yards. This is 30 yards. This is 40 yards. This is 50 yards, uh-huh. whatever the case may be. Put that thing away. And just as you're calling and looking for him to come or your buddy's calling for you, you just keep going from marker to marker. Oh, that was 45. This is 35. This was... That's, and you keep saying that into your head, and then when that elk shows up to present you a shot, you know within a couple of yards where that where he's standing, mm-hmm. and that is like.
1: Well,
2: I mean, I I'll, I'll,
1: <laughs> I'll take that to another aspect, and that's I'm not able to tell you how many times people will stop to call. And they don't consider where they're stopping to call from. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they see a critter coming in. They see a horn or starting to show itself up, and they didn't expect it. Again, another oh, crap moment. And they're someplace where they actually stopped in the limbs or they stopped behind a tree. They didn't consider shooting lanes and the ability to shoot and what's around them so they could draw before they even stopped to call.
0: Fishing Like a Local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Right. Yep. Uh,
1: you almost, I tell people, when you're moving through the woods and you're going to stop to call, You know, don't be standing in the sun. Don't be putting yourself in a position where you can't get your bow and draw and or where you don't have a backdrop. You know, you need to consider the fact that you're calling to an animal all this time. Well, it's likely he's going to show up, right? Right. It's kind of like, it's like fishing and not having your pole down in a position where you can set the hook. It's like just... You know, it's yeah. all loose and, and, and it's just, you know, you have an opportunity and you miss it. Oh, almost had one. Ah, oh, almost had one. So, uh, that, that's something to consider. And, and it's funny when we were talking about the shots, John, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of these photographs of people at, at, uh, Mountain Archery Fest and tack and different things like that, that are on steep slopes
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you can see them shooting down a hill with that bow arm dropped
2: all oh, the way uh, down all the time i would i just did hunt the height to hunt challenge mm-hmm. last was it last weekend yeah i think it was last weekend and um you know i was Shooting with uh, shooting with a group of guys that I didn't know, and I I was like, man, I just want to sh- I I just need to shut up. I don't want to tell Pete- keep talking to people, and like you know, because they don't. You know, it's not like solicited advice; they're not asking me for advice, you know. And I'm just right, keep right. giving advice. But that was one yeah. of the things that that came out. I was like, I'm like, you you want to know why you missed that? I'm like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, you're shooting extremely sharp angle downhill. And what you need to do and now for hunting purposes this is I I have mixed reviews about this because uh-huh. you might be giving yourself away a little bit by making more motion, but you draw outwards, like perpendicular to or you know, like so that you would be in a perfect T. Whether you're sitting, kneeling, standing, whatever.
1: Absolutely, you get in your T. And, and then yep.
2: bend at the waist. Yep.
1: Yeah, and and look, you have to because nobody when when you put your bow and push it at them, uh-huh. unless you're really good at bending your waist first right away. Right. It's, it's, most people are going to put the arm down and they're going to draw back and they're going to be already in an awkward position if, if they do that. You're absolutely right. You need to create the tee yeah. and then you need to go down or you need to go up with it. Just, uh, uh, just to ensure that you're in that form and instead of, you know, changing that and then, you know, shooting over, way over or way under according to, you
2: know, whichever it is. Right. Right. Well, to be honest with you, you just said something that sparked another thing in the memory of, of this past weekend. Uh, and I don't want to pick on these guys. One of the, actually one of the guys that I was shooting with is very novice. Uh, just picked up bow hunting very recently. So, right. um, and he was the only guy that wasn't doing it. Everybody else was sky drawing. And I don't know, if you don't know what that is, is, you point your bow up in the sky, and you draw back, right. and then you come right, down. Right. Right. And that, to me, especially for hunting, is a giant no-no. It's like, hey, I'm over here, waving, mm-hmm. waving at the animal. Um, So, like, be conscious of that. Like, try to have his little bit of minimum. This is not a thirty-day-out thing, but this is just the in the moment thing to think about, you know.
1: Yeah, and and it's and, and it's practice actually, that way, you know. Yeah, it's actually a strengthening thing too, because really, I mean, uh, I've just gone through a lot of shoulder rehab because. What happens is, and where a lot of people get that from is, is and it Throw happened to me, boat. I had a shoulder injury about four years ago, and without noticing it, I, you know, I used to shoot so much. When I shot instinctive with my bow, I mean, I was shooting 100, 120 arrows in a session, right? Mm-hmm. And shooting so much that, and with, with the shoulder injury, that what you do is you end up shifting down and you start bicepping, you know, really like a bicep pull. Mm. Um, on, of your string rather than you know up and and drawing back using that shoulder in an up position uh, because you're protecting you're actually recruiting other muscles but then when you do that you end up with a low elbow and now you got to rotate that elbow up while it's loaded and it continues to actually create more damage to the to the shoulders and it's It's a hard habit not to do because especially if you're strong and you're big, you get away with it and you don't even notice it, right, Mm -hmm. until some years later when something starts happening to the – so it's really that – what you're talking about there is absolutely, man, it's a a strengthening thing. It's a maybe dialing the bow down type thing because everybody thinks that they have to shoot 70 or 80 and you don't.
2: 100 100
1: pounds. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) but no, I totally agree with you on that, man, that uh, the more that the less movement that you can do and you can actually a lot of these guys that are good at that shoulder don't have to raise it way up to do that bicep pull. I mean, you can almost just do that straight out as well, Mm -hmm. but you're still having to rotate that uh, into that shoulder on load, which isn't good for it. And and I'm a prime example of that.
2: Me too. I I do. I I know I don't. I come across my chest mm-hmm. low and then I anchor back but that's I mean I've done that my whole life like that's kind of like my yep. my process and I haven't changed mm-hmm. it because I don't know I just it works, so it works for me I, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I, the sky draw thing like that that to me is just like a uh, I think. yeah
1: I, I just went through five months of therapy man to get mm-hmm. over that so yeah things have changed a little bit but, uh, yeah, so um, moving on to some of those other areas, you know, I mentioned, physic, you know, the physical prep 30 days out. Right. And what I find, though, is a lot of guys get in panic mode right now. And, you know, if you've been working out and you're doing workouts, and I, one of the guys I coach – um, is just a great um, great individual, man, Scott Carr. He, and uh, him and his buddy, Mike Anderson, I think they just won. Um, it, it's one of those big um, events where, you know, you're packing, and shooting and stuff like that. These oh, guys cool. are just beasts. Yeah. They're just animals. They're really, really and great guys. And, you know, when I'm talking to the guys I'm coaching, I'm basically is like, look, right now, you're 30 days out. You're in maintenance mode right so don't be like adding anything different to your workout mm-hmm. i mean and and the main reason i tell that is because a lot of people will start now to try to overdo it so they start throwing tons of weight on and then they start to they try to like go up these hills with tons of weight and end up tweaking something you know two weeks out from the hunt that's going to hamper them so right um Unless you're doing already those types of workouts, you're good, you're great, you're good to go. And if you've, you know, if you did only start there in the beginning of July, you know, four weeks out in August isn't the time to increase that. I mean, sure, put a pack on while you're going, just like you are when you're going to hunt with. That's not a big increase, but just going crazy with, with weights and doing something that could injure yourself, is is not a good idea at this point, right?
2: Right, right. Um, I from a, from a and of course this is all depending on how you're you're working out, but me leading up to. <sighs> I don't know. Probably June. I'm very well rounded. Um, actually, shouldn't even say that. I kind of start off more strength stuff earlier on, mm-hmm. and
0: okay. then I
2: get more well rounded. Meaning, I do start adding in more, more cardio, more of that type of uh, movement, and then I it starts to switch from once I've gotten to a certain strength level. Um, I. Typically, will switch more to repetition type stuff, but not to the point where I'm causing overuse injury. I'm just right going more like twenty rep type type lifting, and then you know, right about now, I'm going to start changing to like a hit style something that's just there, yeah keep yeah. keeping my heart, heart rate up yeah, yeah. keeping mm-hmm. the heart rate up um, yeah. Really focusing on the cardio, but still hitting some of the strength stuff because you're not going to lose at this point, you know. And if you do, it's very, it could be very minimal. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely done. And and the thing is, too, is, man, I mean, when you're doing the strength stuff, I mean, we're talking about, mm, all right, sure, prepare for success, but I guarantee you, man, um, you know, where you're at right now, you're not going to change it a whole lot, you know, at this point in time and strengthening. You know, m- maybe back in um, uh, May, starting then, you might have changed the string, but right, right. now you're not going to change it that much. Um, right. And really, the areas that you got to prepare for is if if you're going to swim the English Channel, you better be swimming. If yeah, you're I was going to say, sport
2: specific training. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Take the words yes. out of my mouth.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, you know, if if you're if you live in a place, and I have people that tell me all the time, they go, "Well, I don't have any hills to practice on." Shoot, man, if if you don't have any hills, most likely you're living in cities where they have big hotels, they got big buildings. Hit the steps yeah. on those. Find That's what those, I do. Um, yeah, yeah, find those overpasses that have those big hills and go up and down on those on on the side of those. I mean, you know, prepare yourself for what you are actually going to be doing and you know the fact that you're going to be stepping over things and over things and over things and going up and down hills with weight on your back that's what you need to be doing. And what you were talking about with the hit, John, and what people, if they don't understand that, you know, that is high intensity training. So for example, you know, when you're chasing an elk and all of a sudden that elk is just over the top of the ridge and you got to get up to the top of that ridge, get in position, be ready to shoot and do it while you can actually be breathing and your eyes aren't all unfocused and everything. So, yeah. you know, hitting something for that 10, 15, 20 seconds hard, and then, you know, giving yourself just very – little bit of breathing, and doing that maybe three times. So you go like 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, something like that, so that it's it's high intensity, really making you breathe hard that's preparing you for those moments like that. Because yep. it's not the fact that you're not able to get there to see that animal. It's now that you get there to see that animal, and can you breathe well enough to keep your pin on that animal, right? So... Uh that's – and again, you're showing your experience, John.
2: Yeah, I just I, – I learned this a long time ago. Uh, matter of fact, I think on YouTube, there's – from like 11 years ago, there's a video of me. And, uh, and I'm running, doing sprints, and then stopping, mm-hmm. picking up my bow and shooting. And
1: shooting, yeah.
2: So it's me training myself I, to – get my heart rate up to get in that huff and puff situation and be able to gather myself enough to make a shot and that's you know what's funny
1: is when I shoot multiple multiple arrows in a row I've noticed I'm like out of breath after I do it and I'm like why am I out of breath it's because I've trained myself years ago to when I'm getting ready to shoot I breathe in hold my breath you know, Mm -hmm. and, and then take that shot. I might, you know, exhale a little bit slowly, but most of the time I'm just holding my breath and just so that I'm not having up and down type stuff. And, uh, and so you do that multiple arrows and it's like, oh man, why am I like, you know, it's, it's because you have to practice those types of things. You can't just sit there. You've got to get there, take it, pop, you know, so Mm -hmm. you have to, practice those things exactly what what you're talking about and it raises everything falls in line with preparation to confidence right
2: right right yeah. absolutely man yep exactly because that's what you're so trying let, to do you you never want to yeah. be surprised about what it is that you're doing like especially when it comes to shooting like, you, you don't want to shoot something and be like, oh, my God, I actually hit it. You know, you you want to know whether whether it's the truth or not. You want to think, so I'm going to let this arrow go. This You're mine. You're done. This is it, you know.
1: Yep. So. Absolutely, man. And so that, let's talk about confidence, too. I mean, we've talked about a lot of this stuff. Well, there's there's other ways that they need to prepare. Like, a lot of people have done the logistics for getting to there. And they might have an e-scouting game plan, um, hopefully, if they're fortunate. But I don't, can't tell you how many thousands of people are, are going to be hunting elk that never were able to get boots on the ground when they got there. So That's they me. actually – what's
2: that? That's me. Unless, it, unless yeah. I draw a tag here in Arizona, it's a different story. But right. I can't think of a single elk hunt that I've been in out of state that I've had a chance to go and physically scout
1: so, so let me ask you a question then man I mean because you know you're like me I you have e-scouting down right you're able to look yeah. at it you do all these different things but all of these hunts that you've gone on when have you ever gone someplace after e-scouting where it wasn't like oh my god that's what it looks like right
2: mm-hmm. yeah I mean I don't know it's probably been a long time since I've been surprised because Uh I've done it so much for so long. Like when I had the TV show and stuff, that's all I, I still, I live my seasons a week at a time. Like there's no, because I'm, I'm a generalist. I'm not just an elk hunter. I'm not just a deer hunter or whatever. I go everywhere. And just, I mean, in the, in the, just to give you an idea, the end of August, the begin, and all of September, So, begin, I'm going to be in New Mexico hunting antelope. Then I come home and I'm going elk hunting in Colorado, come home, going moose hunting in Montana, come home. Wow. <laughs> it's like, so it's like, I don't have, you know, I can't tell my wife, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm gone, you know, 80, 90 days a year and be like, Hey, listen, I need another 20 days of scouting. Right, I right. won't have a wife not and here. kids, you know. Yeah, right. um, absolutely, yeah. So unless it's something where I can parlay it, where I'm taking the kids camping or whatever,
1: right?
2: I, I'm not scouting. So I've gotten really good, even before we had the technology that we have, uh-huh. in the art of intel gathering, you know, and trying to figure right. out what and how to do it. And then once I'm there, I've really came up with a, and I I don't really know how to uh, quantify it, I guess, or put it in words, how I look at the terrain, I look at the sign, and I'm able to figure it out. And I figure it out pretty quickly, um, you know, within the first two days that I'm there so that I know that I have five solid days on
1: But But that's because you see things differently as well. I mean, and and that's one of the things that I try to teach people in my course that I do and try to teach people is it's a different type of awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like a guy that walks up to a lake and you can look at it and you can tell where you're going to catch a fish,
2: right? Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, it's... It's that innate ability. Well, it's not innate either. I mean, it's it's after years of experience. I mean, the same thing when people talk about go with your gut. It's hard to go with your gut if you don't have experience to go off with that. Your gut could tell you wrong things. But, you know, after so many years, you actually, that's why you've developed that ability to be able to evaluate and verify so quick. You can go into an area, you know what areas to travel to to be able to that you should see sign, that you should you should see track. Uh if there's animals in this area, they should definitely be going here, here, or here because this is the type of area that's going to attract them. If it's not there, if I evaluate it and, and verify that is they are either there or not there, I'm moving on, right? And you're mm-hmm. able to do that quickly. Yeah. And I think that's a problem and, and that's one of the things that I wanted to point out is that thirty days out you need to have your game plan for when you get there. I mean, you need to have that pre-day one game plan. Like, let's say you get there in the morning of and you set up the camp or whatever you're going to be doing if you're packing in. But you need to, um, you need to have that day that pre-day one plan so that you can kind of verify what first of all your plan A is, right? Mm-hmm. Because you on a five day hunt you only want to spend three days trying to verify that your plan A was a dud, right? So. You should be able to, you know, verify that area immediately by going to certain things because you had that pre-day one evening, all right? Now, let's say you don't. Let's say you get in and you get at night and you're going to have to go day one. Well, now you have to change that evaluation and verify as part of your hunt plan, and it's kind of almost like a scout hunting trip to verify that, which – there's nothing wrong with. A lot of people got to do, but you got to be able to do it in a way that, again, you can verify or evaluate that area quickly and understand that. And at the same time, doing it in the places, because that's where the elk should be, that give you an opportunity, you know, for an encounter on that day as well. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I tell people, I really think a lot of times you probably want and this happens to me a ton when I'm scouting there's so many times you end up with an encounter when you are scouting because you actually cover country differently than a lot of people that come out here and start hunting they like immediately go into like slow stealth mode mm. instead of move and find mode
2: right right right, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. so you, you, i mean you got to have that you got to have that pre day 1 game plan And then you gotta have that day one game plan in place, whether or not on that pre day one, you know, you're trying to locate either you're going out and verifying you're finding the fresh track you're going to those places that are, are going to show whether it's uh, around a, a wallow or a water area or it's certain road crossings or it's or it's passive leaves least resistance through saddles or or funnels or choke points where you're checking and and then maybe that night doing some night bugling to make sure that you have something that you can jump on to make your next day your first day out there as a efficient as possible because mm-hmm. you know your first day is going to be your best day you're you're in your best physical shape you're in your best mental shape all of that is happening out there on that day one so you know make that as efficient as possible with that plan that you're going to have and you know like i was just mentioning to john john you have tons of experience you know you've been out west and you've hunted so many areas i mean listen to where people if they listen to the hunts that you're doing right now you know you You are not shocked anymore. But I'm telling you, people that have been e-scouting only, they have to prepare, really prepare themselves mentally for the reality once they get there. Oh, yeah. You know, especially if it's their first trip, man.
2: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, again, you said the experience. So trust me when I say that – I mean, I still get surprised um, Mm -hmm. to an extent, you know. Uh, but it's the course of the, over the year, actually, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to back up one of the things that, cause I don't want to, I don't want to throw information out to people that they're not going to be able to, to apply right now. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the things that helped me out more so than anything, because you, the one thing that you can get from the technology is. Hundred percent is you can get the, the, the topography. Right. You can get where water's at. You can get um, access points. You can see road systems. Generally, you can see where agriculture is. Um, you can see where private and 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 public lands meet. So those are the inform. That's the information you know. You can't. You can get. You don't necessarily. You can't necessarily discern, am I looking at feed or is this cover? Or am I looking at, you know, um, mm-hmm. is this rocky stuff that's underneath this trees or, or is it, you grass. know, grass? You know, what, mm-hmm. you don't know, you don't know what you're looking at right. like that. So yeah. one thing that helped okay. me out the most was reading topography and understanding how animals use it. And I say animals because they almost all use it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually wrote an article called Mapping Trophy Bucks. I think it's on my blog. Uh, I wrote it for a couple different mag. I wrote it for a magazine and it got re-released twice. I think Bowhunter Magazine and then maybe um, when I was writing for E-Hunter. But um, I, I want to say it's on my blog now. Mapping trophy bucks. And I'm talking about hunting whitetail, but I talk about saddles. I talk about benches. I talk about intersecting ridge lines. I talk about drainages and all this other stuff in there. And all those things are things that you can apply to elk hunting, to yeah. deer hunting, to anything. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that you can look at a topo map. You can look at Google Earth, and you can discern those things. And it's going to give you a leg up aware. where to be to find animals or at least find animal sign and mm-hmm. once you're if you're not seeing sign in those particular areas that I that I go over in that article chances are there's not elk there right because if yep. they're not using benches if they're not using you know intersections and hidden and, and saddles and all this stuff pretty they're much guarantee there. you they're not there
1: yeah because I mean, that, that's, that's their pathway to their food and their water and their bed. I mean, right. it's their hallways. And if, if they're not using their hallways, then, then there's nobody at home. You know what I mean? Right. So that's, that's uh, the, the way I like to think about that. And, and don't forget to reverse engineer. Go to those places that they have to be at. Go to those places right. that are their watering spots and their feed spots. Find those tracks and then reverse engineer. Because if you're not finding tracks where they water and where they eat, you're not finding out. That's, that's simple, man. Yeah. And, you know, it's a it, uh, very good point on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it, you just said something that, you know, if you're hunting here in the southwest, they need water. I mean, they need water everywhere, but... <laughs> They mm-hmm. really need water here, so absolutely it, it's the easiest thing for you to find elk animals in in general when you're hunting in New Mexico and Arizona and you know some yep. of the some of Nevada and because they have to be where the water's at, so start out of water and reverse engineer reverse engineer like you said yep. think about think about things that way um. I, that's see that's another thing that's always been my thing so what do animals need right what, what do they need and what does this area that I'm looking at provide for their needs and just going to those spots and reverse engineering them looking at it you know looking at it through that scope versus well
1: that's that, that's like everybody that's saying you know okay so bulls need to breed at this time of year right need to breed. That's what's on their mind. Right. But but who are they breeding with? Right. And the the cows need to eat. And so the cows are going to be where the best feed are Mm. and the bulls are going to go where the cows are. It's, you know, build it and they will come. So, you know, I, I tell people, man, if if I had to think about what my strategy is, my strategy is really based on cows. It's not based on bulls. You know, I know how bulls behave because of the cows. And I play on that as their weakness because that's what it is. Just like us as men, we have our weakness because of the women (laughs) that are out there. I mean, it's just, you know, we make dumb decisions or or a lot of different decisions based on that. So, um, yeah. I'd be
2: a really rich man if I wasn't in love with my wife.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> in a different way
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: yeah 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 life is rich right now dude i see all your family stuff and the things you do and i'm just uh i tell you i um you're a I, i'm proud to know you john man you're a oh, good dad God's you're right. a good husband Make uh me you, blush. and you're you're passionate about what you do um and, uh, in in everything. So, uh, no, you're a very rich man, buddy. Trust me. I, I, oh, I, know I it. appreciate that about you. I so, know
2: it. Every time I find myself and, starting to complain about my life, I I stop myself was like, shut the hell up, bro. You got, you got everything. <laughs> so. Oh
1: yeah. You're, you're, you're killing it. You really are. You're doing great, man. And the, the one thing I probably left out last and is probably the one thing that most people are most worried about at this time is their calls and their calling strategies right yeah. and um and really though you know i i think it's great that what we just talked about as far as the game plan and finding elk and reverse engineering because there's so many people that are going to go into an area and they're going to run a ridge and they're going to use a, a, a bugle response strategy. They're going to basically be hunting bugles that they're going to leave elk and continue trying to find elk even though they're there, mm-hmm. right, um, just because that's the only tool in their toolbox. So, you know, I, when you were talking about earlier about, you know, it's not the time to learn new things, but it, it, but it is a time still, especially when it comes to calls and calling strategies to soak up as much as you can so that you do have that gut instinct. You do have that ability to try alternate strategies and you have ideas and suggestions of what they are. You know, so like your calls, man, I mean, If if all you can do is just a basic cow call now, you know, learn how to put some enthusiasm into those, how to put some emotion into those by listening to different things that are doing that. And and really still trying to learn even up to the day that you're going over that what some things mean just so it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to go um meet a group of people for the first time to speak a foreign language you know you're just not going to go up and show up you're going to continue as you're going to be able to learn how to say hello or you know trying to tell them i'm hungry or you know get away from me you know those types of things so i mean keep learning and your calls and calling strategy is something that you're going to continue to learn out in the field man there's actual practical application there you get to try things get crazy don't and if anything don't get don't get scared to not call because you're worried that you're going to mess something up I think people that go silent on their hunt are really the people losing out because you're you really have sometimes opportunities to do some things with animals that are within your vicinity that you will never know even exists if you don't call to them. And that doesn't mean they're always going to answer you, but there's different ways to get them to come into you. So, Mm -hmm. um, their response isn't always this bugle verbally. Sometimes it's a mew that's coming back. Sometimes it's raking. Sometimes it's that, that animal coming in silently, man. So, um, Keep filling that toolbox. I mean, keep filling it as much and as often as you can and develop those different calling strategies. What are you going to do? What are you going to start out with? Are you just going to scream ridges? Are you looking just for that single bull to respond? Well, all I can tell you is, is that 95% of the people that are going to be out there hunting this year are going to be using that strategy. And yet we have a... 95% failure rate really on most elk hunters other than 10% of the people that are rocking it every year doing the same thing and killing elk constantly mm-hmm. because they have variances in their game and their calling strategies and they're able to adapt. So that's one thing I want to tell you, man, is fill up that daggum, you know toolbox of calling strategies as much as you can. You know, um, I'm very cow oriented myself. I'm always a lover before I'm a fighter, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but I can fight with the best of them, you know. So uh, it's just, you know, I know it's awesome to get a bull screaming, but I mean, you go out there and you cow call and a bull answers to a cow call. Don't go scream at that bull right away. You know, that's not the thing to do. That's not what that bull answered to. That bull answered to a call, to a cow, and there's a reason he did. And that doesn't mean you have to inject a bull into the equation right away. So, you know, it's just, I, in these 30 days out, you know, I, because I, I coach guys that are working on their calling, and I can tell you that a lot of people are way too, they're way too, um, way too much tongue pressure on calls really trying to force squeak things out uh-huh. um they want to practice their bugles more than anything and it's kind of like kids that i coach in basketball they just want to shoot three point shots all the time when that's only a 30 percent shot and you're going to score a lot more with moves going to the basket so <laughs> right you know work those other strategies i think is the best thing that i want to tell them out there
2: Awesome. Well, I think we've uh we've given everybody some some food for thought here and uh some things to think about <laughs> leading up to their hunts and things to do. Um I want to thank you for coming on and uh oh, sharing your knowledge with us. It's always a pleasure having you on.
1: Ah, uh, it's always good to be on with you, John, man.
2: Awesome. Um yeah, go check out uh what uh, joe's got going on with elk bros and take a listen we, to his we podcast our,
1: we have our base camp um online hunting course if uh if you want to fill up any of that toolbox go check it out it's never too late to learn um knowledge is power so you can find that at elkbros.com our podcast is the elk Bros blue collar elk hunting just do a search for elk hunting will pop up um, I'd also like to encourage everybody here to, um, support your, your local, state, and national, um, programs that are helping to advocate for us. Uh, I know John doesn't do it, uh, on his podcast here because that's not the intention, but if you haven't taken a look at how and that's H-O-W-L, um, dot org, if you haven't taken a look at that, you need to, uh, it's important that, you know we support those people those places those organizations that are our best advocates for us as hunters and pulling us together and helping us to have a voice so i'm just going to give that a plug john out thank there. you appreciate and, uh, it <laughs> absolutely man
2: thanks a lot and uh thanks come on we'll uh we'll talk to you soon hopefully uh you have a great season and uh and we'll have some good stories to share afterwards. Well, I
1: tell you what, man, um, if you can't be handsome, you can at least be handy, man. I'll try to be handy
3: while I'm out
2: there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank Bye. you. All right. Have a good one.
3: Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. Right. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, tails can be damn tricky.
0: Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude.
3: Wow. (laughs) let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today
0: don't miss life on the water every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment